Welcome back to a new episode and a new project and with no exception a very exciting one as well. This project has just been announced to the public and I can't wait to know more about it. From IOTA Origin we got Julian here to tell us all about it. Welcome mate. Hi welcome. Um, yes first of all thank you for having me here. I hear your podcast on regular basis and you just do an incredible job. Thank you mate. Uh, I've been looking forward to this one. We have been chatting for a couple of days now, so I'm really looking forward to understand and know more about what you guys are doing. Uh, but before we get on to that, uh, could you just tell us how you got into IOTA and um, like how you decided to create a business on IOTA? Yes, sure. Um, so first of all, my name is Julian. I'm into mining engineering. Um, just to clarify, not into mining cryptocurrencies. It's uh, about extraction of raw materials. And I'm also a CEO of IOTA Origin. And yeah, the first time I get in contact with IOTA was in 2016. It was kind of an article about being the currency for machine payments. And this was very inspiring because I shared the same ideas and visions. Um, I then instantly joined the Slack. And from this point, I had an eye on IOTA and the progress. And again, 2019, my interest intensified. I was uh, writing my thesis about the European conflict minerals regulation at RWTH Aachen University. And the regulation is about uh, importing commodities from conflict-ridden countries and how responsible sourcing can be established. And um, yes, I, I saw some kind of possibilities to fulfill the regulation in a new way with IOTA and uh, also the IOTA network. With, with these ideas, I um, applied for a scholarship from the Ministry of Economics of North Rhine-Westphalia. The scholarship gave me kind and of the opportunity to focus more on working on the solution directly. Then uh, we set it up kind of a team with dedicated people, created a company and looked for further funding. Um, and we found some um, from the national German government. Um, they give us the opportunity through the Ministry of Economics and Energy. Um, now it's the Ministry of Economics and uh, climate change protection, I think it's called like this. Um, this was kind of a longer, longer process uh, with three rounds, but in the end we got the funding. Um, it's called Innovation Program for Business Models and Pioneer Solutions. And so we could extend our work building on IOTA. And now we are 12 people working full time and um, this is more or less how we get into IOTA and how we get here in the end. That's incredible, mate. You guys are playing around. Um, could you tell us a little bit more what IOTA Origin is? Yes. Yeah, so first, um, IOTA Origin is a platform for trading conflict-free commodities. This uh, platform consists of three pillars. So the first pillar is our traceability application, which is built on IOTA streams. 
and which makes it possible to track conflict-free minerals fully digital uh, and at the same time matching the international regulations. And the second pillar is the trading platform for matching all stakeholders together um, in the supply chain, like mines, traders, refineries, importers, handling the documents and also the international contracts. And the third pillar is um, the possibility of investing in artisanal small-scale mining. Uh, this is also very crucial for the sector. Um, but before going deeper in, into it, maybe uh, all of these pillars, I would like to share first our vision, what we think, how the world will look like the next 10 to 15 years, so the people can maybe relate more to our solution. Is this fine? Mm -hmm. So the most of us uh, share the vision of IOTA and the machine economy. And um, yes, the question is now, what else the machine economy will disrupt? And we think it will uh, disrupt globalization. Let me try to explain why we are thinking so. Like the last 10 to 15 years were driven by outsourcing the production, which is intensive in terms of labor work. So the production from industrial countries switched to developing countries where the labor cost is lower. The main competition on international level was um, the question about labor costs in production. So you set up your production in China, Bangladesh, India, and this was also driven by politics. There were free trade agreements set it up everywhere. Tolls on production were falling, which gives many countries um, the possibility to create economic value in the end. And um, yes, the point of the machine economy is it will change the international competition away from labor work because production is now not based on labor work anymore. So also the international competition is shifting away from labor work then. And this is what we are seeing right now. The production is coming back to the industrial countries because they have the knowledge and the innovation in the space of setting up the machine economy, setting up autonomous machines. They uh, have the know-how in it, like you saw lately, uh, Intel is investing $17 billion in Germany for producing chips. You see Tesla is coming to Germany. You see Daimler has the factory 56, which produce cars without any people involved. And because the international competition on labor work doesn't fit anymore, you see kind of an reindustrialization uh, re re of industrial countries. And now this is also again politically forced. Um, but how is political uh, politics uh, forcing deglobalization? Um, I would say the trend started um, with the late Obama years. So in the end of his presidency, you saw new trade agreements doesn't appear anymore. There was the agreement between Europe and America, which failed. There was the agreement between Europe and Brazil, which failed. There was the agreement with Europe, Canada, which failed. I think it was CETA, called CETA, yes. And um, then there was the investment agreement between Europe and China, which failed also. And then also Trump plays a major role in it. He started the trade war with China, 
focusing more on the inner angles of America, rising tolls on China, rising tolls on Europe, with the explanation of national security. So with him, kind of the deglobalization framework started to get a form. And now, after Trump, you see kind of Biden is there, and you still see no new trade agreements which are popping up. He's kind of following the same trend also with China. So um, maybe also to pick China uh, as last example, because China is the main player in commodities also. Um, I will talk about uh, a bit about China. Like they are, or they have released uh, its five-year paper where they explain their political vision for, for the country. And this one, which is right now in charge, is called Made in China 2025. And they are focusing now on domestic trade and of officially want to take the step going away from export to a consumer country. But what is more important, um, what the Made in China 2025 strategy, uh, strategy is about, is to produce high-tech products in their own countries, stopping being the workbench for industrial countries. And they want to fulfill that um, in the way that they are cutting the exports of raw commodities to establish the value chain in their own country. So they want to produce high-tech products on their own. And this is crucial for the commodity markets because China is kind of the biggest producer of commodities, mining-wise the biggest refiner of commodities, the biggest exporter, the biggest importer of commodities, is it's just dominating commodity markets. Um, maybe I will throw um, in some numbers, like for the commodities, uh, aluminum, lead, copper, nickel, tin, steel, um, China is responsible for 50% of the demand. Like for perspective, um, a big economy like USA, um, in the same markets, in the same commodities, putting it together um, has a demand less than 10% for these commodities. Wow. So China also dominates 17, uh, 17 out of 27 commodities defined by the European Union as critical commodities in regard of uh, supply and access for the European industry. And I could go on and on with this. So the question is now, how the rest of the world reacts to it. And here's also the problem. Like uh, Japan was the first country which reacts on it because they had a dispute with China and China stops the export of rare earth materials to Japan. And from then on, Japan was setting up their own rare earth uh, mines to be less dependent on Chinese production. Um, the US is trying to go the same way. There was like uh, in the middle or at the peak of the trade war, Xi Jinping visited uh, a tungsten refinery to show to America, look, we have also something in our hands because like China is producing 97% of tungsten supply in the world. And after China presented this muscle to America, um, Trump directly started an order or a program for the national emergency on rare earth metals. So the US choose the same way as Japan, looking for own deposits, um, deposits in the country. And right now, this is even financed by the Pentagon. 
Yes, and now you have the European Union. So the European Union is also trying to do it in the same way, like America and Japan, to look for domestic deposits. The problem is the European Union don't have enough or any deposits. And the second is that sourcing in domestic markets is kind of not possible at all. Um, this has also to do with things like population density, like in the US, 30 people living per square kilometer. And in, in Germany, it's like 230 per square kilometer. So you can have a look at Bavaria, Germany, and try to build a wind power plant there. The neighbors will sue you to hell for that. And now try to set up a mine in the same place. There's, there's no chance. So um, plan B um, was setting up some partnerships like with Russia. 10% of non-ferro commodities is coming from Russia into the European Union. And I'm not talking about energy supply. And um, yes, th this is kind of a huge portion. And another country involved um, in this partnership like was Ukraine. They even intensified the talks half a year ago for uh, concession rights of commodities like cobalt, nickel, magnesium, and many other critical commodities. Now, through this uh, crucial war, this uh, will also fall apart, and we only can pray that this madness is coming to an end. Yeah, and you have kind of other partners like Bolivia. So there were some concession rights for German companies mining lithium. And then the president got cooped and with him also the rights of the concessions. So even if Europe or anybody else find partnership with countries to uh, do industrial mining, um, setting up industrial mines takes years up to uh, decades, up to a decade, okay? So you, you have to do the prospection, you have to do the mine design, you have to build the infrastructure for water, you have to uh, build the streets, you have to build the energy supply, you have to deal with the authorities about concession rights and, and environmental impact of the mine. So more or less, we are entering into a commodity shock. And on, of top, on top of that, we are doing a kind of energy transition. And in this regard, energy transition means also resource transition. And the investments in industrial mining, like 2017, uh, where overall the prices of commodities were very low for a long time and like the investment was falling apart and declining more than 50%. So there was also any kind of investing in industrial mines. So copper investment declined 50%. Rare earth investments declined 70%. And this is now missing. So relating to this problems, there's just one sector which really can fit the demand in a short um, term or on short term basis. Um, and this is artisanal uh, small scale mining. Well, uh, after all, small scale mining in whole, their deposits are not that big, but they are near to the surface. To set up a small scale mine is way faster possible. The grades are kind of higher, but deposits are not big enough to do it in an industrial way. So what we will see is an expansion in small scale mining. And we have to take 
big attention to this sector. On the one hand, the sector is uh, the solution to the, deliver the supply. Um, but on the other hand, the sector is not formalized yet. So this means illegal financing takes place, which is putting the people which are employed in artisanal mining into unsecure working conditions, which lead to human rights violation, in particular, child labor, suppression of women involved, in many cases also environmental impact because of the wrong handling with chemistry and tailings or missing uh, rights of concessions leading to deforestation. So the society should put the focus again on responsible sourcing in more detail, also with the mind to achieve a sustainable energy transition be, because the sector is growing. Like um, from 1993, artisanal mining tripled to 45 million people involved worldwide. To, to bring this into perspective again, um, let's take the automotive industry in Germany. It's involving like 800,000 people. And I think worldwide automotive sector has 3 million people involved. So furthermore in the value chain of the artisanal mining, 150 million people are dependent on small scale mining. And this is a big chance to achieve the UN sustainable development goals to bring value creation into this conflict-ridden countries and to say um, to save the, the the impacts on the environment. And if we don't care now, this will end in overexploitation with bad impact for the people involved and also for the environment. Wow, um, that's it's pretty. When when you say it like that, it's just kind of makes you think but like how are you how are you plan going to change this and, and which role does iota origin play mm, okay so in the first place there has to be kind of formalization to make small-scale mining legal because this was a long-term problem so let me explain it with an example of the democratic republic of congo so 1996, um, the first Congo war started involving DSC, Rwanda, Uganda. This war was financed through minerals, which are based in the Eastern DSC. And through that minerals, the war could be financed even lo for longer time. And through the second Congolese war with even more countries involved, I, I don't wa uh, want to go too deep into to it, but one driver of the war again uh, was the minerals. So the minerals weren't directly the cause of the war, but they extended it by financing it. So this is where also the term conflict, conflict minerals comes from. So conflict minerals are in detail minerals which are sourced in artisanal and small-scale mining in Eastern DSC, also called the 3TG because of the minerals tin, tantalum, tungsten, and gold, which are sourced in in the small scale mining. And this definition was also implemented in the EU regulation and even expanded on all the neighboring countries of DSC. So to prevent um, further escalations in this region, the US declared um, in the Dodd-Frank Act section 
1502, I think it was, uh, which is referring on conflict minerals and calling them out. So international cooperation, it was in 2009, international cooperation at this point, um, we're leaving the country. So, and this had a huge impact on investments in the country. And at the same time, like it was one year later, I think 2010, the national government uh, didn't allow to do artisanal mining anymore. The problem is 80% of the GDP of DSC is mining. So this is also kind of an effect of the commodity curse, by the way. So most of the people had no choice but to go into the illegal sector and get illegal financing through shady structures. So the people who are working in the mines, the most part of them, not all, but the most part of them now are just normal people. They are uh, not kind of rebels or something. Um, these are brothers, cousins, uncles, whole families involved in this sector. So the people get in an insecure environment where different human rights violation can take place. And this is the biggest issue. And now from 2018, um, there is the possibility to formalize artisanal small-scale mining in DSC. This means that people involved can form cooperatives, which can then apply for a ZIA zone, which is a concession right uh, in mining. And this is kind of a huge innovation because the people can now get out of these illegal structures. So the people can now invest in their own ground, like a father before on an illegal ground, he, he wouldn't buy kind of an excavator because at the next day the military could come or the police could come and size it and tell, look, you are working illegal. We are taking your excavator and then they will just sell it or something. And the uh, environment for investments is, is bad. And this is now changing. So this father can now say, okay, look, I will invest my efforts and my time into uh, this mining site. So my children don't have to work here so I can send them to school. But the problem now is um, because of the bad image of artisanal mining, international investments are still not there. And illegal financing of the mine site is still the first choice. And this means questionable security for the people and the environment and also for the human rights right and the thing is now uh, it's hard for them also to fulfill the international regulation because the traceability by now costs lots of money and there are different international organizations which are into the, uh, into the traceability like the electronic industry has an, an, an organization in the tin and tantalum sector in DSC. And they just let the mines pay for the traceability. And this kind, this is a kind of a problem because, so in the first place, I want to tell, I, I like what they are doing because the incentive is to make traceability possible to ensure that human rights violation, uh, violations are not occurring, but still there's a problem. So putting the cost to the mining sites puts pressure on them to go again into the illegal sector. On the other hand, um, this kind of traceability system evolved into control systems because 
they say, look, we are the electronic industry. You can only sell your minerals to us by using our traceability system. If you try to get out of the system, you're going into the illegal path. So they are forcing them in kind of. Uh, in economics, it's called procurement corporations. So this is also uh, happening uh, with the automotive industry uh, in the cobalt sector of DSC, which is uh, kind of dominating the market. Um, and this is the point uh, where we as IOTA Origin step in, because for us, traceability is not a business. Like you have different startups also in the blockchain space, which use blockchain for traceability, but they have the wrong business model on it. Um, this is also why IOTA has its USP because it's fearless. And we are also not putting any fees on our traceability because we want to get um, them legalized so they can market their commodities on international markets and um, then we can together attract international investments again. So we have also an interest in keeping it fearless because the traceability system should scale fast. So we as IOTA Origin on our side will uh, refinance ourselves by our platform, matching buyers and sellers. And, and this is not the, it's not a paper idea. So we have been in DSC, we working with many NGOs. We are um, working with associations with, with over 20 cooperatives in the artisanal small-scale mining, including more than 70 mines, which uh, employ more than 3,000 people. And we are talking also to uh, refineries, exporters, the, the whole value chain uh, we are talking to for implementing this system. And um, we are also building an, a consortium for, for, uh, for our platform. Um, so we are in deep talks also with two states. And this was kind of great to know because we have built our system and we, we were flying there and we were not sure how the market will respond on our solution. And the response was overwhelming positive. Um, this was kind of a good feeling uh, for us. Yeah, I can really imagine that, mate. I'm like, how, how is the traceability system work? Okay, um, the traceability system, um, we are using the IOTA network um, because we are able to create a digital twin of the commodities. Um, but the, the digital twin is not enough. Therefore, you have first implement a system. And you can think about the system working like the CO2 emission trading in Europe. So every business which is creating CO2 emissions has got some kind of certificate based on its emission output. And you can implement this fact also in artisanal small-scale mining because the mining is done mainly by humans and without machines. So based on the productivity of a human and the grades on the mining side, we can implement um, a cap um, 
for the certificates, kind of how many certificates this mining site can produce um, in the best case scenario, in the worst case scenario. So you have kind of a cap to the top and a cap to the downside. Um, think of it like you have two mine sites next to each other and one mine site is legal and the other one is illegal. So you could just take the illegal minerals and smuggle it through the, um, through the legal mine. So this is where the cap to the top is for. So you know how many people are involved. So you know the productivity, you know the grade. So it's not possible to rise the production or the, rise the cap by three times, four times, five times and um, smuggle illegal material through this legal mine. On the other hand, um, it's you have uh, a cap to the downside because if you have a legal mine which should produce a certain amount of minerals and they are not producing it, it could be that they are smuggling it uh, to avoid taxes. So we built also a tool for the state so they can see, okay, we have a kind of a red flag because the cap was broken to the upside or to the downside. So they can ask the mine side, um, they can ask on the mine side, okay, what happened here? And they can uh, look um, if, if it's because now they have higher grades or more people are involved on the mining side. So now you have an idea why that cap is rising uh, to the top. On the other hand, um, to the downside, it could be like, we're having uh, in the SE raining season, okay? So mining is a seasonal business in the end. So because um, you have no pumps for pumping out the water out of the mine site, so the production is falling. In this regard, the cap can be lower. And um, this is what the state can then find out. But these are points where um, you, then the more information we get, the better the caps um, we, we have to implement uh, and can create. Um, so we build also a tool for states so they can see um, like, uh, we have a red flag, uh, red flag because the cap was broken to the upside. So they can ask the mine side what happened. And then they can say, okay, look, we have a higher grade now. Or look, we have more people involved now. So you have an idea why that cap is rising uh, above the, uh, the top. Uh, and on the other hand, to the downside, it could be like, okay, uh, we have raining season. So mining is a seasonal business in artisanal mining. And because, because they don't have pumps for pumping out the water out of the mines. In this regard, the cap can be lower then. But these are points where the more information we get, the better caps we can create. Just like you have now 10 mines in one region, and one of these mines is telling you that they broke the cap to the downside because of the raining season, and the other nine doesn't do that. So it could be... Uh, there was no rain at all. So by gathering more and more information, we will establish better and better caps. And this is also what the regulation gives us kind of space because they are defining, uh, in the regulation, they are defining the process of formalization uh, in the sector really as a process. So we are getting into the legal way. Yeah, and uh, a further benefit for the state, so they don't have the capacity 
on the ground to be at every mindset. So now they can see through our system, okay, we have some issues here and we can send some people in this region. So they don't have to be everywhere. So um, you can also uh, use your valuable capacities just on the purpose where they are needed. And through this cap, we can build kind of a digital twin then on the IOTA network. So after the mining sites, um, you as a trader, you are coming to buy certificates. Um, you're also buying it in the physical way. So right um, after that, um, if you want to smuggle material, so you add some smuggling material as a trader on your stack and you want to sell it, um, you the next buyer won't uh, buy it because you can see, okay, you don't have enough certificates for um, the commodity value which you want to give me. And this is kind where our traceability traceability system uh, makes it possible trading on an open market because right now you have something called closed pipe models so everyone in the supply chain has to be licensed and um, this means you have just one closed pipe license model so if somebody wants to rise the price because you can only deal with them um, because they are licensed, you have the problem and uh, an inefficient market. And our traceability system opens up the market. So through the digital twin, you have now better prices, which will make artisanal mining more competitive again on international markets. So mm, the second thing is the question about the documents in the traceability system and how... Um, uh, how, yeah, who can see these documents? And therefore, uh, we are using IOTA streams for encryption of these documents. So we have a section which is for public data. This is uh, due diligence documents, like from which origin is, is the material coming and if any problems occurred. So we also implemented uh, a whistleblower system to refer on problems of any kind in the supply chain, then uh, further docs like uh, if it's coming from a licensed mine, if taxes has been paid, this can be signed by also by the authorities uh, in a digital way. And then we have um, also a private document section. And these are only for people who are actually doing the trades um, between two parties, because you don't want to give information like name, price, volume, so um, this is all encrypted through IOTA streams. And this is how IOTA is giving our traceability system the edge because um, through the digital twin, you can trade on an open market. You can hide your business secrets, uh, which is a big problem for international companies because they don't like to disclose it. And you can still verify the chain under international regulation for no cost. So there are no fees at all. So you can come to our platform. We are doing uh, the matching process for you. You can find partners and trade these commodities conflict-free and import them and even show your consumers or buyers uh, where materials coming from, um, if it's like a, a gold ring for marriage, for example. Wow. Uh, but like, how is the financing of, of all of this work? 
Yes, the, the second problem is the financing because of the bad image. There's no international financing in artisanal small scale mining, but also um, there are banking issues. And this is what we want to change. So we will make it possible to invest directly in cooperatives through cryptocurrencies. We have partners in the banking sectors. Uh, for that, we are in talks also with crypto exchanges, uh, exchanges which are working in Africa, which have also licenses for mobile money. Uh, I don't know if you know uh, mobile money like in Africa, you can pay anything with it. You can pay your rent with it. You can uh, pay electricity bills with it. And um, like every 300 meters, somebody uh, is sitting around where you can load up your mobile money. And this is also a crucial point because without international investments and the infrastructure of payments, the illegal structures which, uh, which are in charge right now uh, Will will works will still work, and then also the security issues on mining side, the human rights violation will not change. Uh, even the the mines now are working legal. So this is why we are building up a platform also for investing into sustainable and environmentally friendly sourcing, and that we can through this process then break the illegal financing and evolve the security and get rid of the human rights violations. And uh, how I referred before about the market structure in the commodity markets, we think that um, high investment input will come into the sector and we will use it to establish uh, responsible sourcing also for um, the energy transition, because the energy transition based on a human rights violation is kind of not acceptable. Like um, the German finance minister said, re renewable energies is freedom energy. And still the question is for who? Mm. Like you mentioned the Dow, uh, could you tell me a little bit more about that? Yes, um, we want to establish a DAO. The DAO should be seen uh, as a kind of investment fund for sustainable and environmentally friendly investments. Therefore, um, I would also like to announce that we are doing an NFT sale. The uh, NFT holders will get an airdrop of the treasury token and then also an airdrop of the governance token. So um, talking quickly about the tokenomics, um, the NFT holders will get kind of 5% 5 uh, share of the treasury token supply. And after that, the holders of the treasury token will get an airdrop of the governance token. And then as fast as possible, we want to give our traceability system to the DAO, which should govern the traceability system because um, it can also be used for different use cases. We are talking to uh, a state about implementing it for the Kimberley process, which is the traceability system for conflict diamonds and gemstones, but uh, also for use cases like phishing. So you can trace legal phishing with um, geolocation 
um, you could use um, this traceability system for it too. So I think the best way is that the DAO can govern the traceability system and find use cases later on where it can implement the traceability system and adapt it. And we as IOTOROGEN, um, we will also have uh, a 10% share into this DAO. Um, we will do kind of a vesting period uh, of five years to ensure the DAO that we have no conflict of interest. Because the problem is in the first steps, uh, we will be as a company, uh, urgent will be like a real life oracle for the DAO. And to ensure that we don't have any kind of conflict of interest, it would be the best if we have a share into the DAO. So the DAO can be sure about um, the interest uh, of our company that we are um, working in behalf uh, of the DAO and the DAO can succeed. So um, we are even so far that um, we want to make it possible because these are some things where you have problems with DAOs like um, where you need oracles for how you get everyone in the DAO informed in the right way. So we want to make it possible uh, to monetize the information in the traceability system. So every user or stakeholder in the traceability system can decide if he wants to sell his information. And out of this information, uh, we want to design kind of a heat map, um, for example, of ESAN DSC. So the DAO could see in real time where the most problems occur where the safest infrastructure for transportation of goods is. So um, the DAO can make better investment decisions. And in the end, um, you, you have to think about it like a kind of a gamification way. So it would be like, um, like a money or a setup like of Age of Empires. Did you ever play Age of Empires? No, I'm not a big gamer. Okay, all right. So in Age of Empires, you're kind of um, building cities and you see all the resources which are involved or which you can use on one page. And I think a DAO, an investment DAO in this space should also have kind of this many. So every participant has all information in, in just on one page and then can make decisions on it. And if you think about these heat maps, like where problems can occur, where infrastructure is needed, this DAO can also evolve, not just into um, an, an investment fund, but also into a smart city project. So what could be the next uh, right investment for um, developing the infrastructure um, of, 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 of the city for um, exporting the goods? So this is kind of very interesting, uh, and um, I hope um, we there we will find some more possibilities even. Um, and I'm kind of curious about the progress we will make in um, the next years. Yeah, I'm I'm curious as well to see what you guys are gonna gonna, gonna create. Um, but is there something from the IOTA Foundation, like tech-wise, that you guys need before you move on, or is everything ready from like it is now? 
Yes, so um, we are, the, the traceability system is, uh, is working right now. So uh, IOTA Streams is working. We can share the documents. Uh, it would be great if we can implement the IDs um, to the end, but this is more about um, um, getting um, the authorities um, legalize the IDs or uh, using the IDs. So this is not a technical issue. Uh, what would be interesting for us uh, in the way is kind of the smart contracts, the tokenization framework, because if you want to invest into a small scale mine, we have to tokenize it. So this would be uh, uh, a major driver for, for, for our company. And, um, but we are, um, uh, we have a good feeling that um, IOTA and the IOTA foundation uh, can deliver on this point. And also, what would be kind of interesting for us is kind of um, DeFi products, like um, giving in insurance for transportation, giving insurance to um, life insurance to miners through um, DeFi's, giving um, 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 small small credits directly to the miners because this is also an issue. They have debt and they 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 are doing the debt in gold, so they are the gold is again going through smuggling channels and if you give them the opportunities um, to get kind of a credit through cryptocurrency which they can use on place um, you would get the gold into the not into out of the illegal channels so there are some aspects uh, we are waiting for but we are also working uh, on ourselves on it so um, it, it will be it will be um, very interesting times in this mm. regard. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, this episode has been very inspiring. I really admire what you guys are doing and best of luck to you and the entire team. I'm looking forward to see what you guys are going to roll out. Um, uh, you guys are going to make it far. I'm pretty sure of it. Yeah, thank you for uh, your invitation and uh, thank you for listening. Uh, it was uh, much of fun talking to you. Thank you very much, man. Thank you for attending. I think that the community will appreciate this episode quite a lot. So the rest of you guys, check out IOTA Origin. Uh, follow them on Twitter. Uh, I'm not sure if they're going... Are you going to have a Discord channel? Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. We have also uh, our website released now, so you can uh, check out our website also for more information and follow on Twitter or following or join our Discord so we can uh, get into a discussion. Yeah, that would be fun. So everyone, go do all that and uh, make sure to keep an eye on these guys. I think there's a bunch of cool things coming in the uh, in the future. So, as usual, get behind, get left behind. Cheers. <laughs>